Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. Amen. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Luke the 6th chapter. We're going to go right back where we were the other night. In Luke chapter 6, I'm going to be preaching this morning and teaching on apostolic ministries, what we're going to be discussing this morning. So I'm going to do my best to preach from the stage. I asked for a raise, and so they said, get up on the stage. So this is my raise this morning. I'm cutting up, but we're going to just try to go from here. But I'm subject to probably get down. So that's just how I like it. I like just preaching from down there. But Luke chapter 6, and um, while you're there, I'm going to pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning. And Lord, we just pray, God, open our ears to hear and just let the word of the Lord go forth in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, Wednesday night, if you were here on Wednesday night, um, we just preached for, uh, I mean, just just flatfoot preached in here Wednesday night, and we were talking about the subject of apostolic ministry. Lee, if I could get a little bit of these monitors right here. Um, and so... Uh, so the, I, I, I do want to just give a little recap because we have several in here that were not here Wednesday night. And, and then we will, um, I want to go into some things that I did not share on Wednesday. Um, I talked about that a couple of weeks ago now, I think it was a week before last, I went to South Carolina. And I went to where uh, Damon, uh, Damon is at in South Carolina and uh, Batesville, um, and where they host the Carolina Revival. And we went to a leadership meeting there um, that was just mainly for five-fold leaders and, and just went in there and, and just, just to feel, just to, just to really be a part of it and to see what's going on. And one of the things that I said on Wednesday night that I was amazed of is um, there is nothing in Batesburg, South Carolina. I mean, nothing. Uh, Aiken is about, I guess, 30 minutes from there. Uh, which is where we stayed, and I did not realize this until last week, but uh, Aiken, South Carolina, got the uh, best town uh, best town in America, small town in America for 2018. And so it was amazing to see what God is doing there. And so what I said is that there's nothing in Batesburg that you would think that God would want to pick a place on a map to show up. But the reason why he's showing up there, number one, is the level of hunger. And number two is what God has placed upon Damon's life um, uh, there. And so there's a voice that's in the wilderness crying out in South Carolina. And so this morning, uh, I want to read something to you that uh, Peter Wagner wrote. And he describes this shift that we've known for some times if you are a reader and you like to read books or, or if you're a student, it doesn't take rocket scientists to realize that the church has really been going under over uh, like a metamorphosis really since uh, the early 90s. And so the, word, the term apostolic is not new. It's been around, but there's a lot of misconception when we use the word apostolic. So this morning we're going to find out what an apostle is. Uh, what is apostolic ministry? Now, I thought about this morning. I sent this out last night as this morning when I worship got, you know, we just got to really just throwing down in worship, and our worship is aggressive. 
And I've tried to shift a lot of times over the years. Matt and I have been together for a decade now to, to go into, you know, like maybe not do it as hard. I mean, we used to, when we were in Alma, man, we'd be singing. we cut off the giant's head. we eat giants for our bread, you know, Rick Pino, and we'd just be doing it. But how many knows the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That word warfare, if you, if you study it out, that word warfare means the apostolic career. So in an apostolic ministry, there should be worship going forth that is taking giants out. Come on, somebody. The giants we're taking out is not necessarily demons as much as it is ideologies that he goes on to explain. He goes on to talk about castles and fortresses and, and ideologies and, 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 and things that have been built up that, that, that try to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. Come on, somebody. And so when we're declaring in worship this morning like we are, uh, we, we're declaring that God is a healer. Come on, somebody. Allison come up and declared that God is a deliverer and that he leads and guides us and that, that, that he really does have a plan for our lives. Come on, somebody. When we don't see the plan, God still knows the plan. And I know the plans that I have for you, thoughts to bless you and not harm you and to give you an expected end. And so, so let's look at this. So Peter Wagner wrote uh, in his book years ago, uh, maybe you read it when he, he talked about apostles in his book, but he describes a shift from denominational government to an apostolic government as moving from a bureaucratic authority to personal authority from legal structure to relational structure, and from control to co coordination. Just help me out right here, Lee. This thing's popping. I, I don't know what it is. I, I mean, that's supposed to be top of the line, but it, it ain't this morning. And from relational leadership to charismatic leadership. So listen to this. An apostolic government is shifting away from bureaucratic authority, legal structure, control, relation, uh, relational, uh, rational leadership, and a shift toward personal authority, rational, uh, relational structure, coordination, and charismatic leadership. For apostolic government to be affected, it must rely on personal leadership of apostles rather than organizational systems. Now, this morning, I want to, and, and I understand that we already, it's already a lot of time gone by because we, we were in worship. But I want to show you that the struggle, that the struggle that Jesus had and the struggle that uh, when we get into John 10 and John 7 a little later was not the struggle with demons. It was the struggle with the church. It was the struggle with religious leaders. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 6 in verse 13. Now, I want to talk about what is an apostle. I want to help bring some, some clarity and some a language to this when we say what, what an apostle is. I, I shared this Wednesday night that when we go out and travel and we travel to, to, to different churches, I, I, you, you meet people with all kinds of titles. But just because you have something put on your card doesn't mean that's what you are. Hello. Come on now. If you're a worship leader, you're going to worship in the crowd a whole lot longer before you ever make it to the stage. All leadership begins at the back of the church. All right, now let's look at this. Luke chapter 6 in verse 13. 
I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. It says, at daybreak, he called together all of his followers and selected them from, from among them, and he appointed them to be apostles. Now, I want you to notice verse 12. After this, Jesus went up into the high hills to spend the whole night in prayer to God. At daybreak, he called together all of his followers and selected them from among them, and he appointed 12 to his to be apostles. Now, notice that Jesus just didn't have 12 guys. He had a multitude at this point. This is early on in his ministry, but he wasn't walking with just 12. He spends all night in prayer in this prayer meeting unto God. Why? Because Jesus didn't do nothing except what he seen the Father do. He said the Son of Man can do nothing on himself of himself, only that which he sees the Father do. So he spends all night in prayer seeking God over the ones that God had entrusted him. And out of the ones that God has entrusted him, he's about to name 12 to be apostles. This is the first time that this word is introduced in the New Testament. Now, we know according to the Old Testament, the Old Testament had kings. The Old Testament had priests. It had prophets. Why didn't Jesus just use a term that they, they, all, they were already familiar with? Why didn't he call these 12 men and said, as, as he selected 12, whom he was going of his disciples and why didn't he just say I want to call you a priest why did he use this term apostles in the Greek is apostolos why did he want them to be apostolos because in naming them there and giving them the title was going to set the origin for which they were going to do it was going to reveal what they were called to do on the earth you with me now the Bible says I mean uh, the Bible says uh, listen to this the name that Je- the, 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 the name would reflect their role and purpose in terms used at this time. An apostle was an official who was sent by a government official to represent the to, to represent the government. Jesus could have called them priests or prophets, yet he chose a secular term used by the Roman Empire, apostolos. It is a Greek word that means sent out one. The Greeks used it to, the word to describe an admiral over a fleet of ships sent out by his king to conquer other territories and to establish his government in those territories. Apostles apostles were to change the culture so much that if the king was to visit the land they conquered, it would look just like where the king lived. How many knows that God's desire is earth look like heaven? Y'all with me now? He, he, that's when he gave us the prayer in Matthew 6, which is not the Lord's prayer, his prayers in John 17. But when he told us to pray and was teaching on prayer, he said, pray like this. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God desires his will in your earth. Come on, your earth and vessel. And he desires it in our earth we live in. His will to be done. All right? Listen to this. Here is another definition of an apostle. An apostle is a Christ-like ambassador with extraordinary authority called and sent out by Jesus Christ with a specific assignment to align the church to bring heaven's culture to earth and fulfill the mandate of the disciple in nations. When Jesus left in Matthew 28, he left us and he said, "Go, go disciple nations. We as a church through clergy has released, has reduced that statement down that we're just a disciple one another in the church. How many knows that is not what Jesus said? He said, go make disciples of all nations. 
This is the call of the church to make disciples of all nations. Changing culture is one of the responsibilities of apostles, not just church culture, but society's culture as well. When Jesus named the disciples apostles, he was telling them, when I send you out, I want you to so transform the world's culture that if my father came into the world, he would feel right at home. Simply put, the primary role of apostles are to advance revival, bring reformation, and equip others to do the same. Here is where we've made the mistake for a long time we thought that the fivefold in Ephesians 4 and 11, it was their job to do the work of the ministry. It is not my job to do the work of the ministry. It is my job to equip and to train you to do the work of the ministry. Preachers don't make the church grow. The body makes the church grow. The scripture says that the body edifies itself. Come on, somebody. Why? Through the equipping of the fivefold, the, therefore the body is trained to do the work of the ministry. We have got to quit we have got to quit having church and start being the church. If you just have church, when church is over, church ceases to exist. But if you be the church, come on, somebody. The church is in Walmart. The church is in Sam's. The church is in the mall. The church is on the job site in the classroom. We have Now we, we just want to have church. We are not having church. We are being the church. Now, apostles change the culture of the church, but it must transform. Uh, it must. It must transcend the walls of this building into the culture in which you and I live in. Are you with me now? All right, we got a lot of ground to cover, and I'm going to cover as much as I can. The word apostle is mentioned 79 times in the King James Version of the New Testament. It is the most common calling in the New Testament. The word pastor appears only once in Ephesians 4.11. We have built our whole church government, listen to me, on something that is specifically mentioned only one time. Most church, most, especially in the realms that I've been in, especially in the South, only recognizes three of the gifts found in Ephesians 4. They recognize a pastor, they recognize a teacher, and they recognize an evangelist. Most will not recognize a prophet or an apostle. You with me? Which is the two that God put in the church first according to 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And Jesus said, I mean, Paul said in, 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 the, in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, many are sick and feeble because we have not discerned the Lord's body correctly. This is why the church is weak and it is feeble and we can't cast out devils and we can't heal the sick because we only got three gifts functioning inside the church. You with me now? You would not be healthy as a person just if you only had a diet of ice cream. Hello. You got to have broccoli, Brussels sprouts, All right, that's what happened to me. I had too much ice cream. All right, you with me? Now, let's look at this. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. True apostolic ministry, listen to me, true apostolic ministry is the foundation of the church. 
True apostolic ministry is the foundation of the church. Now look at this. Look at this. You would think that if God was going to build something, he would, build, he, he would tell us to build the church with him as the foundation. But it didn't say that Jesus is the foundation of the church. The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church. Are you with me? Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse, look at verse uh, 19. So you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are children of the city of the holy ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple and your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation. Look at this. Laid by the apostles and prophets and best of all, you are connected to the head of the corner of the, of the, of the, the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. Let me just say this, that the greatest obstacle, the greatest obstacle to a genuine move of God is the way our current leadership models are structured. Notice what I said. I didn't say the greatest hindrance to the move of God in this region is the devil. I said the greatest hindrance to the move of God in this region that you and I are contending for is the way that our current leadership models are structured. The global, the global body of Christ is not being trained, equipped, and reaching the fullness of the knowledge of the Son of God because they are only being exposed to the ministry of one man on a consistent basis. Apostles raise up elders with plurality of leadership. What was good that we saw this morning is Allison come up to admonish the people. You saw Catherine come up to admonish the people. Come on, somebody. I'm not forced to get up to give you the latest thing that I've been studying. We should have a body of people in this room that can get up and testify of the goodness of God. Come on, somebody. What I'm trying to tell you is the one-man show is out of date. Come on. It is crumbling. It is falling. What we have built on, built on one-man systems is, coming, is becoming obsolete. God is trying to raise up a body in the earth, a body of people, a family of believers. Now, to see Nicholas is to see Danny. Now, he might not be as strong in certain areas as Danny, but there's other areas that he can be stronger in. Come on, somebody. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first Apollos. That word first is proton. That word Apollo, apostles is apostol, proton apostolos. It doesn't mean that apostles are more important than an evangelist. It just means in God's order, he ranks those two gifts first. God set them in the church first. Not granny voted them in, not they were voted in by the people, but God chose these two offices to be foundational leadership in the body of Christ. And first, he puts apostles in. Second, he puts prophets in. Third, he puts teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps and administrations, and various kinds of tongues. 
Paul said apostles first. It doesn't mean, again, that they are more important. It just means this is the order in which they rank. Now listen to this. Apostles and prophets carry a grace to lay foundation, and the other three are building ministries which build on the foundation which the apostles and prophets lay. Teachers grow the church. Are you with me now? Apostles apostles lay foundation, so do prophets, but prophets guide, pastors guard, and evangelists guide and teachers grow the church. We need a diet of all five to be the fitly mature man that Paul describes in the book of Ephesians. Look at this in 1 Corinthians, I mean 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11 says, according to the grace, just let me read it to you. You can write the scriptures down if you want to see them for yourself. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid the foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one. Apostles carry a specific and unique grace to reveal the person of Jesus to his body. Apostles connect us to our true head, the source, the foundation, and cornerstone. True apostles will tear down any other foundation besides Jesus Christ they encounter in the house of God. Apostles establish doctrine of Christ. They father, they correct defects, ordain elders, uproot, tear down false doctrines, and challenge false teachers. These mandates require great time and effort on their part in one community of believers. Now, here's the deal. You take prophets, and we recognize Jess as one. But let me just say this. The lowest form of his gift is him giving you a word of prophecy. Hello. The lowest operation that he could use in his gift is to give you a personal prophecy. The church has been raised on other people giving them words of prophecy instead of falling in love with a book called 66 books of the Bible and dig your word out yourself. Come on. If a prophet is in our midst, we should not want to hear from God from him. We should be able to hear God ourselves, because the prophet circumcises the ear of the house to hear God. I remember when Catherine and I were in, we went to Daytona to a Christian international church that was led, you remember Bishop Bill Hammond, his network was uh, CI, Christian International. I remember walking into that building and I remember being in worship. Man, I mean, I heard all kind of stuff. It was like, I mean, you could just be walking near the place and you could hear God. Why? Because a prophet was established in that house. And where the prophet is, he gave us ability to hear. Are you with me? So with the prophets and the apostles working at the foundational level, what they do is reveal the person of Jesus and a true apostle and a true prophet is not trying to connect you to himself. He's trying to connect you to God. This is good. All right. Listen to this. Apostles carry a tremendous... Now, here's. let me just say this. They're not the only fathers, but... But apostles carry a father in grace to look after other leaders. It's just the way God designed it. All right. They carry a tremendous father's heart that is concerned for the welfare of those that are called to minister to. Paul did not spend, listen to this, Paul did not spend a weekend in Ephesus. He spent three years. So 
so when we, when we talk about city transformation, when we talk about city transformation and cultural transformation, which is what we're after, not to just have good church, we want to see an entire city change. I hope that's your heart. So one of the reasons why we struggle to see this is because in a denominational system, a man's just pointed. He, he, if, you're, if you're in a denominational system, one of the things that happen is, okay, let's say, for instance, we've been here seven years. You're tired of me, and I'm tired of you, so we call headquarters. I call headquarters. And I say, you know, I just think the people are tired of me. I mean, they're worn out. I mean, they done. I mean, they love me at one time now. I mean, people just, we tired of that fat, bald-headed man. And be honest with you, I'm tired of them too. So, first of all, my wife, she's tired of this parsonage, so I need to upgrade on the parsonage. I'm just telling you how it works. Don't get mad with me. I'm just telling you how it works. I've been in it a little while. So, here's the thing. So, what will happen is, is he's going to get on the phone, and he's going to find four or five other leaders that's tired. Boy, where they at? They need to change the scenery themselves. So it'll be me and two others that'll go through the church. We go through there and test, they test drive you. See, see if he can preach and what his wife looked like. He got mean youngins or whatever. They're going to tear the parsonage down or not. So then they make a choice by that. Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe that that man can have a heart for that region and that city like that? I believe that God has to plant a region in a man's heart. The Bible calls the city of Jerusalem the city of David. That's how God referred to it when David was walking the earth. He didn't mean that it wasn't Jerusalem. It just means that Jerusalem was inside of David's heart. And so when he looked at Jerusalem, he's looked and saw David and said, that's the city of David. If we could get leaders, listen to me, that had a heart for the community and regions in their heart, we would see true transformation outside the walls of the church. But when you just come in to preach for a church and that is your job, all you see is your church. People's already cutting the pocket. He's knocking, he knocking our system. I'm, I'm not. Listen to this. Listen at Paul's heart. So he just didn't go to Ephesus for, 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 for a weekend. He didn't blow in, blow up, and then blow out. He's living and doing life with them. He's there for three years. In 2 Corinthians 11 and 2, it says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that, so, so that to Christ I might present you to one husband. Listen again in Galatians 4, 19. My children with whom I again in labor unto Christ is formed in you. This is the apostle Paul. He's not talking about his study. He said, I'm laboring, doing life with you until Christ is formed in you. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 14 through 15. He said, for here's the third time and I'm ready to come to you. I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. For the children are responsible to for the children are responsible to save up for the parents, but the parents for the children. I will most gladly be spent and expended for your souls. Listen to this. Paul didn't love the microphone and the stage more than the sons he was raising up. This generation is looking for mothers and fathers to roll up their sleeves and do life with them. Paul said, I'm willing to be spent for your sakes. Mostly what I've seen modeled in the apostolic is I want you to spend for my sake. We have got to see a turning of this, folks. 
This is good. We've got to see it. What has turned people off of the apostolic is men raised up children in the church to be nothing but their retirement plan when they were old and wore out and couldn't preach the gospel anymore. We have prostituted sons for the sake of the father. And what a generation is looking for is a father to take the place where he's at and begin to invest that in the life of the sons in which he's laying up. They're just looking for somebody to do life with us. Somebody that's real, they can touch, that's flesh like their flesh. I'm just preaching this for the sake of the hearer online. Romans 1.1, look at this. Romans 1.1, this is how Paul introduces himself. He introduces himself as a servant of Christ called to be an apostle. Listen to this, the higher you go in, the, in, in authority, the more servanthood you must display. I'm not just talking about apostles here. I'm talking about any gifting. The higher you go in authority, the more servanthood that should be on display in your life. He introduces himself not as Apostle John. Nowhere in the Bible do we see a gifting precede a man's name. Because you are not your gift. Your gift is a part of who you are. Let me go on a little further. So we, we get people in the church and we give them a spiritual gifts test to try to figure out their gifts. Listen, here, you, that doesn't tell me who you are. Your calling determines what kind of gifts you have. Paul said, introduces himself, I am a servant called to be an apostle. The more authority and the grace that is given to your life, the more servanthood must be on display in your life. You with me now? It's awful quiet, but that's all right. Now listen to this. I, I want to I I show you something right here over the next little bit. How many has heard... In John chapter 10, I'm talking about, in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief cometh not to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and life more abundant. How many's heard that? You've heard that verse of Scripture. You're with me. And we have taught that verse of Scripture all throughout the church that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. How many's heard that preach? Jesus was not referring to a devil when he made that statement. Nowhere in the book of John chapter 10 is he ever talking about a devil. He has given an analogy of a shepherd and a hireling. Stay with me right here. He's given an analogy of a shepherd and a hireling. John 10, when they, when they broke the 10th chapter down, should be a continuation of the 9th chapter of, of the book of John because it never breaks of the story. Only till we get to John 11 do we see the break of the story where he raises Lazarus from the dead. In John chapter 9, there is a blind man from birth. Y'all with me, right? Right? There is a blind man from birth that is taken to Jesus, and the disciples said, who sinned, him or his mom? And Jesus said, neither has sinned. Neither has sinned. It says that, that um, Jesus said, but it is so that you could see or the glory of God could re be revealed in this hour to you. So Jesus heals, remember he spits on the clay. Jesus spit on the clay and rubbed it on his eyes. 
The clay is the humanity of God and the saliva is the word of God that come out of the mouth. This is the deity of Jesus and the man of Jesus about to touch a man's eyes right here in an instant. Boom. And as Jesus rubs the clay that he spit in, in his eyes, this blind man's eyes was open. And when the blind man's eyes was open, the Pharisees or the religious leaders were indignant and upset that Jesus had done such a thing on the Sabbath. You with me? So the Pharisees and the religious leaders begin to begin to badger the man and begin to begin to uh, uh, provoke him and try to get him to say who healed him. Now the reason why he wouldn't speak because at the temple the the Jewish leaders had already told them that if a man says that Jesus is Lord, he was excommunicated from the church. There is some churches that excommunicate you. Not because you deny Jesus, just because you speak in tongues. Y'all quiet up in here. Quiet in this Episcopal church this morning. Are you with me? So they go to the man's parents. And then the man's parents says, listen, he's a grown adult. He can speak for himself. Again, they're not wanting to say because they're going to be excommunicated from the church. That's why when Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, when he sought to go after Jesus because his 12-year-old girl was dying, when he, went to leave the, when he went to leave to go get her, went to go get Jesus to see her healed, what he was saying is, I know this is fixing to cost me everything in the church. I'm about to get thrown out. Because he ain't just a, he's just not just a person in the church. He's a ruler there. So finally, the man never reveals who heals him. So Jesus, he, he sees what's going on. This is when we find out now in John chapter 10. Let's read it right here. I'm trying to tell you why, that, why a lot of people have been turned off to apostolic ministry. We'll show you a couple things right here. Boy, this right here is going to be well worth right here. Study this morning with us. So Jesus said to the Pharisees, who's he talking to? The Pharisees. He's not talking to, he's not talking to, no, he's not talking to the world. He's not talking to the disciples. He's talking to who? The Pharisees, the preachers. So Jesus said to the preachers, Listen, listen to this eternal truth. The person who sneaks over the wall to enter into the sheep pen rather than coming through the gate reveals himself as a thief coming to steal. But the true shepherd walks right up to the gate. And because the keeper knows who he is, he opens the gate to let him in. And the sheep recognize the voice of the true shepherd for he calls his own by name. And leads them out, for they belong to him. And when he has brought all of his sheep, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him, for they are familiar with his voice. But they will run away from strangers and never follow them, because they know it's the voice of a stranger. Jesus told the Pharisees this parable, even though they didn't understand a word of what it meant. So Jesus went over it again. I speak to you eternal truth. I am the gate of the flock. For all, for all those who broke in before me are thieves who came to steal. But the sheep never listened to them. I am the gateway. To enter through me is to experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. A thief has only one thing. He wants to steal, 
slaughter, and destroy, but I've come to give you everything in abundance more than you expect life in its fullness until you overflow. I am the good shepherd who lays down my life as a sacrifice for the sheep. But the worker who serves, look at this. Here's where Jesus is revealing the thief. Here is the separation. And this is where the fivefold has got to get to. I'm talking to y'all this morning. Listen to me. This is where we are going to in the days ahead. The church has had to put up with hirelings who only work for a wage. We've not had fathers that we could call fathers in the house because they're here one minute and gone the next. Could you imagine my three sons, what kind of life they would live if they had me as a dad for five years, uh, love sports and outdoors and hunting, then a next man come in and only love to shop and stay inside, and another five years bring somebody up? They would be one mixed-up individual the time they're 18 and 19 years old. And this is what happens in the churches all across America. We get a guy that comes in that loves missions and the church focuses their whole attention on missions. Then we got a guy that come in. He just loves evangelizing the lost. He's got the church out there cooking hot dogs. Then we get a then we get a pastor teacher and all he wants to do is create small groups and Bible study every week. So here's the deal. Jesus said that the true shepherd, he brings it back. The true shepherd lays his life down, what? For the flock. But the hireling works for wages, and when the wolf comes in to grab the sheep, he tucks and runs. Let's go on right here. I know I was going to get in this vein. Let's just look right here. We got, I know what, where we're at right here, okay? Now, listen here. Some folks has already beat us. If you eat at the buffet this morning, they're already there. They closed up at 1130. So let's stay right here. Let's go to the book of Mark, chapter 8. Lord, this Passion Bible right here got me messed up. I'm, it ain't got no Old Testament. I don't believe in the Old Testament. We cut it out. No, I'm playing. Y'all all right? Look right here. Mark chapter 8. In an apostolic church, which is what you're in, it will continually preach cultural transformation. We will always be pointing further. Apostles don't camp. They constantly reach him. Imagine the children of Israel following Moses. They got they get to this place. They finally plant them a crop. I mean, crops about to come up. Moses go and tells the priests, tell the people we're moving. Do what? We just got here. I mean, we just got the we just got the tents established just right. We got, we, got, we got something planted. Why are we moving? Cloud just took off. The pastor's job is not to recognize the cloud. His job is to see the people and mend the hearts of the people. Come on. 
without the two gifts that are noticing the cloud, we remain the same. Y'all, this good. This is why you can go to some places in 1985 and walk in in 2015 and it looks the same. Why? Because the pastor's been at the helm. The cloud moved 10 years ago. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost right there on me right now. This is how the apostle thinks. He don't give a rip. Watch out here. Come on, somebody. The apostle ain't worried about if somebody's broke leg or nothing else. The apostle looks at the cloud, and when he sees the cloud move, he says, get up. Let's go, army. It's time to move on. Press on. The pastor better figure out how to get the wounded in a chair, garnish, whatever we got to have. But the apostle is moving on. And the prophet said, yeah, I had a dream last night that the clouds going to move three days. We got a three-day journey before the clouds going to stop. <laughs> this, my God, I'm going to get on all that. Had a guy that called me in his office some probably seven years ago, and we were having this discussion. He, he really loved me at first when he first met me. He would sit with his legal pad, and I would talk, and he would write all the stuff down until he got about two of our CDs. Then he didn't know what to do with me. And this is what he said. He said, man, he said, I just fear that you're too far out there. I said, did I say anything that wasn't biblically? I mean, did I say anything that, 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 that I mean, what, what's the deal? He said, I just, I just feel like with this prophetic stuff, you, you're too far out there. Let me tell you, let me interpret what he said to you. I haven't grown in a long time. I'm still in the infancy stages of where my denomination has parked me. When you talk to somebody about their encounters with God, when I meet Steve, Steve does not walk up to me and he shows me a picture of himself as a baby and says, look, Yon, that's me when I was three years old. That's me when I was three years old. I was born, when was you born? 52. Oh, praise God. 52. All right, so listen, you don't walk up to me and show me a picture of when you were born. He's going to show me a fish he caught last week. But a Christian, you ask them, what, what is their encounter with God? Well, I was, I was saved in 1985, sanctified in 1986, and got filled with the Spirit of God in 1987. But what have you done since? We should have a church room full of encounters with God, what you just heard last night in a prayer room. Listen, when it's done right, the ministry of the apostle and prophet will connect you to the head. You won't hear no preaching like, well, if you'll just hear my latest revelation. No, they will teach you and train you how to find the secret place yourself and then challenge you, how are you growing? All right, let's look at, let's go back to this thief deal. Y'all in the book of Mark? I'm going to be done right here. I'm, I'm almost done with the second point, okay? I got five of them up there. We, I know how to work it, okay? Gonna get right here, Mark chapter 8. All right, let's look. Let's look right here in verse 34. Jesus summoned the crowd along with his disciples, and he, he, had, he, had, he and had them gather around. And he said to them, if you truly want to follow me, should it, you should at once completely disown your own life. What? Jesus is looking at the crowd and said, if you want to follow me, you should what? Disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. For if you let your life go for my sake... And for the sake of the gospel, 
you will continually experience true life if you lose your life. If you lose your life, the King James renders what? You shall find it. But if you save your life, you shall what? Lose it. Look at this. But if you choose to keep your life for yourself, you will forfeit what you try to keep. For what use is it to gain all the wealth and power of this world with everything it could offer you at the cost of your own life? The King James renders that, What shall a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Most of the church is trying to keep the church from the world, especially the religious, because they, they're afraid, they, they're scared death of sin. Stay with me right here. I'm fixing close. Don't hate me yet. But the church, we try to keep our youth group from the world. When Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he, if he gained the whole world yet lose his own soul, he's not talking about the heathen. He's not talking about a Mercedes Benz. He's not talking about a BMW. He's not talking about going to concerts. We got to first realize who is he addressing as the world. It ain't the devil. It ain't the bar crowd. I'll tell you this right here. Jesus ain't worried about, when Catherine and I went and planted our first church, I was 26 years old. She said, I'm worried about such and such. She said, I'm worried about all the drug problems. You know, Peter Jennings come to the city in 1997 and did a whole documentary on the town about how bad the drug problem is. I remember back then being 20, 25 or 26 years old, I looked at her and I told her, I said that at 26, I looked at her and I said, I'm not worried about the drug problem. They don't scare me. I know where they at. What I'm worried about is the church. Y'all come on now. Get off of them. The church has got more mass than Jason, Freddy Cougar, Michael Myers, and the whole nine yards. We all got a bunch of masks on. Most people don't even believe God will bless you in your true condition. That's why you dress up. Come on, somebody. That's the whole reason why Jacob had Esau's hair on his arm because he didn't believe that God could bless him for just being Jacob. And so then what we've had is leaders that didn't believe that God could bless us by calling us as individual members. That's why God didn't call you just the whole body. He said individual members because God don't want you to lose your identity in the process of becoming the family. The toenails just as important, come on, as the ear. You don't believe us, snatch it off and see, don't we holler. Get your ingrown toenail. The whole body's like this. So what we did is we don't train a child. I'm almost done here. Stay with me. We don't train a child in the way that they should go. We train a child in the way we think they should go. So we have leadership that clones leadership, and we, don't, we, 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 we lose the individual person in the process. So Jesus said, what shall a man gain? What shall a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his own soul. That word loss, right, that word lose means to damage or compromise his own soul for gain, respect, notoriety. A part of the posse now in the crowd. Oh, I'm talking right here. What did Jesus say? If you want to follow me, you don't love your life. Don't love your life. Lose your life. You can follow me. But if you love your life, 
what it's going to do is cause you to compromise your soul to get notoriety. I'm done out right here, right here. Adam, Mike, come right here and help me right here. We can close this thing down. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get, let me tell you this. I'd listen to this guy. He taught me something I never heard. He said, Joseph had three coats, not one coat, but three coats. Three coats. I, I said four, three coats. I, I, that, my, my senior, I mean, our math books and all was, was uh, paper. You know what I'm saying? So help me out here a little bit. So when I got to Yale, I had to really do some studying to stay up with the process. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, you, you all right, right? Listen, Joseph had three coats. He had one that his father gave him, the coat of many colors, which was stripped from him by his brothers because they was jealous of who God said he was. But listen to me. If Joseph had been unwilling to lose his own life and give up the coat that his father gave him, he would have never got the second coat, which was Pharaoh's coat. And Pharaoh's coat gave him access to all of Pharaoh's stuff. Pharaoh's. Potiphar, th thank you. See, that's why you got to have sons in the church to help preach. I've got it all messed up, yeah. Potiphar. Potiphar's coat gave him access to all he had. And Joseph is finally feeling this sense that what God showed him as a child is coming to pass in his life. He had to lose the relationship with his brothers and he lost his dad in the process, but he finds himself with a second coat from Potiphar. But what happens to the second coat? It strips him. Potiphar's wife grabs the coat, snatches it off of him as proof that she try, he tried to seduce her and lay with her, which was a lie, which put him in prison. But while he was faithful to God, come on somebody, in prison, not loving his own life, but losing his life, God allowed him to wear the final coat, which was Pharaoh's coat. See, some of you people have stripped you, walked away from you, and you have cried about it. You have hated it. You've held bitterness in your heart. But let me tell you something. If they was, if they was destined to be with you at the end, they would still be with you today. The fact that they walked away is proof in the pudding that you didn't need them to get to where you're going. Come on, somebody. That God's got a jacket at the end. Come on, somebody. And can I tell you, the ones that stole your first coat will be the one that have to come back when you got your final jacket on and get the corn and get my good God Almighty. I'm talking to somebody up in here. Don't love your life. When Jesus said... See, let me tell you something. When we give the devil a place where the devil gets the foothold on your life because you love your life. Loving your life will cause a foothold for him to be able to stand on. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he looks at his, he looks at his disciples and said, the prince of this world will come tonight. He said, the prince of this world is coming tonight. But he said, he, find, he has nothing within me. That word nothing in me means there's nothing common in my life that's common in his. He don't find no place in me that I have not died, that I don't love my life. Come on, somebody. Now, what shall it, what? What is it if a man gains what? The whole world. But yet he compromises his own soul. Now, let's finish this up. John chapter 7. I got off the original task, but I, maybe this would be good. By the way, this, apostles and prophets are subject to change the message within the message. <laughs> Teachers will stay at the task on hand, what's in the notes. 
cloud moved. Cloud moved. You with me? John 7, look at this. After Jesus traveled extensively throughout the providence of Galilee, but he avoided the providence, he avoided the providence of Judea. For he knew the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were plotting to kill him, to have him killed. Now the annual feast of tabernacles was approaching, so Jesus' brothers came to advise him, saying, Why don't you leave the countryside? Why don't you leave the countryside villages and go to Judea where the crowds are so that your followers can see your miracles? No one can see what you're doing here in the backwoods of Galilee. Nobody don't know where you're at in Sparks. Get up. Get on a plane. Go to Dallas. Go to Redding. Nobody knows where Sparks is. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. This ain't nobody enough for me. I'm preaching myself. Jesus sought not to go to Judea, for they were ready to kill him. But his brothers, his half-brothers, said, get up and go to Judea. That's where the crowds are. That's where the crowds are. Let me tell you something. True apostles are not worried about the crowds. They're worried about the cloud. And they find if two or three are in the cloud or if two or three millions in the cloud. What has crippled us is the crowd and the lust for it. You know, because we believe that the money's found in the crowd. The money's surely in the crowd. When we were standing in Columbus, Ohio, I remember telling Fiaz that we were going to give 8000 I said, we're going to give $8,000. Put the wall on, the, put the roof on this church in Pakistan. Give $8,000. So we did $8,000. I committed to it right then. It's not like I don't know what's in the checkbook. And so, but I was like, man, so I'm going to take a ball from for this. I'm going to get $8,000 that I committed to when I was standing in Columbus, Ohio. And sometimes you say stuff under the anointing. You know what I'm saying? You say stuff under the anointing. You're like, oh, my gosh. You know what I'm saying? When it reality is. Just like I was down there on the stage looking at Pastor Ashley, I'm going to buy you a trip. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So when I was on my trip last weekend, Catherine said, you said you was going to get him where we stay. I'm like, yeah, that's it. That did a good, good. Give me two more nights. <laughs> I did it cheerfully. After about five minutes praying, studying. No, I'm playing. So we sitting in my office. We said we'll take up the money tonight just saying the way it happened. Dust said, no, don't take it up tonight. He said, take it up Sunday. So I said, no, I said, I believe God said we take it up tonight. He said, okay. When we walked out of the door, there was a small group of people this Wednesday night. I'm talking about small. How much we need? 8,000. What I committed. I said, Dusty was right. Dusty was right. I'm walking the whole way up here to the front. Dusty was right. We ain't taking no offering up tonight. He right. I said, listen. Should have listened, thus saith God. So we do the worship. I preach. Service is moving. Power of God's in here. I tell the people, remember that's when we showed the flag. That flag from Pakistan didn't come off of Amazon. And we showed it and we told the people what we was going to do. I felt like God 
told me what I was to give. I wrote my check. There it was. They come out there, said we took up 11,000. The money wasn't in the crowd. The money was in the cloud. Hello. So let's finish this up. All right, you ready? Come out of hiding. Listen, listen to this right here. He said, how do you expect to be successful and famous? How do you expect to be successful and famous if you do all these things in secret? Now is your time. Now's your time. Go to Jerusalem and come out of hiding and show yourself where? To the world. Who you are. His brothers were pushing him even though they didn't believe in him as the Savior. Look at Jesus said this. Jesus responded, my time of being unveiled hasn't yet come. But anytime, look at this, anytime, he's talking to his disciples now. Anytime is suitable opportunity for you to gain man's approval. The world, look at this. Now he's talking who? The world. The world can't hate you, but it does me, for I am exposing their evil deeds. You can go ahead and celebrate the feast without me. My appointed time has not yet come. When Jesus said that I'm exposing the evil deeds of the world, he's not talking about the folks in the clubs. Because the scripture just said that God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the sins against them. So who is he talking to? He's not, he's not talking about the world as the crack addict because the Bible says Jesus, God was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting the sins against him. When he said the world, what he's talking about is the preachers. The religious leaders. So what shall, it, what shall it profit a man who gains the status with the religious leaders, but he compromises his own soul to get there? What Jesus is saying, there is a pathway to get there, and it's found in the secret place, and it's found by not loving the crowd and not loving what you do, but loving God in secret. Come on, somebody. And where God sees in secret, he shall reward you openly. And how he rewards you openly, he makes Samuel pull up in front of your daddy's front yard and said, hey, I was sent here by God, and God said that there's a man in here that's at to my, my own heart. And he runs the seven kids out in front of him. He said, no, not none of these here. And then he remembers there's the old illegitimate son, David, who's on the backside of the desert. Ain't you glad that man can give up on you? The clergy can give up on you, but God never gives up on you. He sees in secret and rewards you openly. Jesus said, it ain't my time. You're trying to push me. But he said, I'll tell you what you do. The whole reason why they wanted Jesus to go to Jerusalem is so they could ride his coattail. Get off me right here. There's some people in your inner circle, they ain't got an ounce of anointing, but they want to steal everything that's on your life. That's the only reason why they dare like leeches to suck and grab everything that God wants to do in your life. But the pathway to the anointing is the presence in the secret place. And it starts out with no eyes looking when the camera's not rolling. Lord, I want to be just like you. I want to be a vessel you flow through. I want to be more like you. Clint Brown wrote that song when he was a kid. Singing. The Spirit of David comes upon my heart. 
David Binion wrote it when he was a kid. When nobody knew who Clint Brown was. Lord, I want to be just like you. I want to be a vessel you flow through. Where was the crowd? Nobody but the cloud. When you learn how to entertain the cloud, you will never have to worry about the crowd. See, you know what? When I look at this place, I don't care if nobody ever knows where Spartans is, but the cloud. All I want to know is every Sunday and every Wednesday, I got a people that love the cloud and I can come in here and get in the cloud with the people of God and see miracles happen. Come on, somebody. Well, I can hear testimonies of a young girl in North Carolina about to lose her life, but she meets a young man by the name of Cleve Edwards from Sparks, Georgia, on the sandy shores of Mexico Beach, and later on they get married, and she finds a place called Cornerstone. Come on, somebody. And after 10 years of being in Cornerstone, her life is so transformed, nobody even recognized the person that she's talking about. What does it matter if the crowd knows who we are as long as the cloud is in this place? This is what we're after, church. We're after the cloud of his presence. They didn't want Jesus to go to Jerusalem to be recognized. They wanted Jesus to get up there so they could hand out their own cards. You know, Judas done had his name printed up real big on the license plate nearly by the treasure. Huh? Peter had his sword sharp and clanging. Let's go, Jesus, into Judea. You, we got to reveal who you are right now. I done got me a thousand business cards to hand out. They know I'm part of the ministry. I'm just trying to tell you. Let me tell you this. Apostolic sinners. They're, they're, they're just, I'm just telling you. They're not really known, known necessarily. And I'm not knocking numbers because they're, they're, are, they're all with a lot of numbers. But... They're, they're just not known by numbers. When did God, why did God, why did God not allow David to build the, the house? Number one, he was a man of war, but that's not really what kept him out. What kept him out is when he numbered the children of Israel. When he started counting the numbers. Come on, y'all. And then we find, I mean, look at Gideon. He had a great church. 30,000. God told him, your church too big. I ain't about to do nothing in there. If I do something now, you, you'll say you got the credit. Get them down. Take them out here to the water. Man that bends down, takes a hand to his, and draws water up right here. You keep him, the rest of them, you don't. Why? Because the rest of them fell with their face in the water right covered. They couldn't see an enemy nowhere. They was just concerned about their own belly at that point. Come on. But the one that knelt down and kept his eyes up right here and alert, took the water and drawed it to his mouth. He said, kick in. Now he's got 300. Can you imagine that? You, God tell you in the secret place, uh, he, God coming in and say, son, I'm going to grow your church. I'm going I'm to grow up from 30,000 to 300. Now you can stand in there and cry. You can say the cloud moved. What's it, what's it, what, and, and here's the thing about it. He leaves us to sit there and explain that for the people. Pastor, you know there's a bunch of people leaving the church. You realize that? Yeah, God said three weeks ago he's going to grow it down. We gonna, we're only going to be left for 300. Stand up with us and let's pray.
Let me tell you about the cloud. I'm going to tell you this one other story right here, and I'm leaving. I was standing in this place one time, and I know I said that God give us 66 books, but I won't knock, knock about one personal prophecy. I was desperate to hear God say anything. Either God said, you're ugly, you're nasty, I'm tired of you, don't want you no more. I was just ready to hear something. I just needed to hear something at this point in my life. And I was at this, I was at this deal, this conference, and they had a prophet there. But here's the way they did it. Is that you had to get, they was only going, they was only allow 30 people. They was only going to allow 30 people to be prayed over by this prophet. And so you had to get, you had to get a number. They just said, that's how they said, going to make it fair. Everybody got a number. You just pulled it out of the hat. And if you got, if you got, if you got the number, if one through 30, you was going to be able to be prayed over by the prophet. If not, you were done. So they, they I, the time I got there to get my, they wasn't even a number left. And I knew I had to leave in 30 minutes. And so I said, man, I ain't, I mean, I thought you know who I was, my status. You could at least get me in line of the prophet. They weren't even going to let me do that. So I'm, I'm getting my stuff to leave, and the prophet come out. They, they brought him out like on a chariot or something. I'm just cutting up. But it was, it was you know. So they brought the prophet out. He scanned the whole room. He said, uh, who's that man right there? And um. They said, well, that's, that's Pastor John Bagley. He said, that'll be the man I'll pray for first. With no number. What I'm trying to tell you, friend, all you have to worry about is the cloud. You honor the cloud. If you honor the cloud, the cloud will always honor you. He make a way where there seems to be no way. Father, we love you this morning. We love you. We honor you, God, with everything that we have in this room this morning. Lord, what a privilege it is to say yes. What a privilege it is to say yes to you. Lord, like Allison, we all, we all, if we had a snapshot, oh, if we had a snapshot of the John in 1997, no one would believe it in this room. Father, we are pictures of your grace and your mercy and your goodness. Lord, where would we be if not for the grace of God? Father, I pray this morning as a shepherd of this house that we would always be a house that would honor the cloud and that would be the most reason why we gather in this place together. Not to display talents, not to display our clothing or our style or anything else, Father. Lord, we thank you. We thank you this morning for all that you're doing in our lives. I bless every house. I bless every marriage. I bless every family under the sound of my voice this morning. I bless them with a hunger for the secret place. Father, may we be found faithful to just have intimacy with the cloud. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you all. We'll see you here Wednesday night. Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media.